Word of the Lord. Uh, we're continuing our series looking through Exodus, and today we've reached the tabernacle. Uh, there's chapters and chapters about this, but we've asked, just asked John to read from the last chapter or so of Exodus for us. Good morning. Today's reading is taken from Exodus chapter 39, verses 32 to 43, and then from chapter 40, verses 34. Chapter 39, Moses inspects the tabernacle. So all the work on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases. The covering of ramskins dyed red, and the covering of another durable leather, and the shielding curtain. The Ark of the Covenant Law with its poles and the atonement cover, the table with all its articles, and the bread of the presence. The pure gold lampstand with its row of lamps and all its accessories, and the olive oil for the light. The gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, and the curtain for the entrance to the tent. The bronze altar with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils. The basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard. The ropes and tent pegs for the courtyard, all the furnishings for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when serving as priests. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. Chapter 40, verse 34, the glory of the Lord. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of the Israelites during all their travels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and thank you, John, very much for reading us. Love that big Bible behind you as you did it. Uh, the book of Exodus is rightly seen as a rescue story, how God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt through Moses. Uh, but just as much as it is a rescue story, it's also a story about relationship, how God wants relationship with his people. He didn't just want to rescue them and leave them alone. He wanted to develop a relationship with them. So we find God encountering Moses on his own at the burning bush. We find God appearing with great thunder and lightning at Mount Sinai as he gives the Ten Commandments. Last week we saw how God revealed his character to Moses, for Moses to teach the people that he is the Lord, the Lord, it's Yahweh, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. But one of the big questions there is, how can this holy God 
dwell with a people who are very far from holy? Uh, And the answer came through the tabernacle, through building a tabernacle, uh, a place where God could make his presence dwell, that amazing story of his glory in the cloud, and indeed through a sacrificial system, which is what the book of Leviticus is all about. Today we're looking at the tabernacle, and there are a number of key lessons for us uh, where we are today about how God set this up for them. Like the ancient Israelites, we too are on a journey. We've left behind the old familiar pre-COVID world. Uh, It'd be nearly a year since that first lockdown soon. Uh, And it's strange, isn't it? When we look back at video of lots of crowds, it feels strange and odd. Uh, We're delighted about the progress of the vaccine, but we know it's still a while before we emerge into a new Uh, world living with COVID and vaccines. And we don't quite know what that will look like. And lockdown is, for many of us, a bit like the wilderness. But just as God spoke to the people of Israel in the wilderness and helped them become his people now uh, more, we believe that God is speaking to us individually and as a church about how we can be his people better and better. So let's pray that he will speak to us this morning through the tabernacle. We praise you, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are still gracious and compassionate, still slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, still wanting relationship with us, your people. Send your spirit on us now, uh, here in the building, for those few of us here, in homes uh, all around the area and further afield. And speak to us, we pray today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now, 10 years ago, back in 2011, uh, I preached four sermons on the tabernacle. It was as we were preparing to do the redevelopment here of this building, which we did in two phases, in 2012 and then in 2015. And as I was preparing this week, I felt the Lord say, tell the story of what happened uh, over the last five to 10 years through the redevelopment of this church. So we've got kind of three time zones. What happened in ancient uh, Israel with the original tabernacle? What happened here over the last decade uh, as we did the redevelopment work? And what God is doing among us now? As I said, we did the redevelopment in two stages. The first phase was in 2012 and the second phase in 2015. It cost around 1.2 million in all, almost all of which was given by the people of St. Paul's sacrificially. Uh, I preached four sermons, and those four sermons are my four points today. I hope that it won't feel like four sermons. I'll try and just give the highlights. The first point is that God gave the design for the tabernacle very clearly to Moses. Let me read to you from Exodus chapter 25 from verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red and other kind of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And from Exodus 25 for five chapters, 
God reveals to Moses the details of exactly what the tabernacle should look like. I have to confess, I often skip through those chapters. I think if I was an architect and liked the details of it all, I might be more interested, but I try to get the gist of it and move on. Uh, but 10 years ago, I found the Lord speaking to me through it. I read it slowly and was very struck by just the quality of the material, how much gold was used. God told them, don't skimp, do it well. And as we were praying into the redevelopment here, we prayed that God would give us the design for how to develop these buildings for the next generation. Uh, we were not to skimp, we were to do things well, uh, although we certainly didn't use a lot of gold in this. Uh, but it was done well. And as we talked and we prayed, we had prayer meetings, we engaged with architects, we bounced ideas around, God gave us uh, what we came up with now. Along with the word we felt he said to us, build me a place of welcome for the outsider, for this to be a welcoming building. And of course, we need to be a welcoming people. We hit various snags along the way, not least in phase two. There are all sorts of questions about the lighting and the chairs and the sort of carpet that would work. Uh, but God guided us through and gave the design. Just as he gave the design for the tabernacle to the ancient Israelites, he gave us, he guided us for how to do this redevelopment. And the point today is that the Lord will just as surely guide us how we are to operate in the post-COVID world as we look to him, as we talk, as we pray. What things that we used to do should we keep? What things uh, belong in the past? What new things should we do? I've been reading through my journals from the last year or two. I said that a week or two ago. I've been amazed by how often God highlighted Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 to me. Let me just read those verses. God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Now, of course, we... We remember the lessons from the past, but we're not to live there. We are to move on. And this year of pandemic that we've had, or longer as it may turn out to be, is a real watershed for us. And there are some things that need to be left in the past. We thank God for them, but they belong in the past. There will be other things that we start new. And we can trust God to give us the design, if you like, for how we do church as we emerge from this pandemic. I've certainly had a strong sense about God wanting to do new things among our small groups, uh, our communities, and God using them not just for caring for each other and helping grow as disciples, but for reaching out in mission in lots of creative ways. Uh, we're not quite sure exactly how that's going to work, but we can trust God to guide us, uh, to give us the design. There's also a strong sense that as we emerge from the pandemic, the financial needs around us and the mental health needs are going to be far more significant than just the virus itself. Uh, and many people are suspecting that there will be a huge amount of social need, physical, financial, mental health, well-being. And God needs to prepare us as a church to show his love to those in need. Uh, that will be one of the things we'll pray into tonight at the prayer meeting at 7 o'clock, just praying for the Lord to show us, prepare us, to give us the design. That was the first sermon. The second sermon, my second point today, is that God gifted people to lead the work 
of the tabernacle. God gave the gifts that were needed to individuals to oversee this. So Exodus chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahizimak of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I've given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. So God took these people, Bezalel and Aholiab, and gave them extraordinary gifting in order to equip all the skilled workers to do all the work. God gifted the people to do what was needed to build the tabernacle. And we have found time and again that God has done that for us. Going back 20 years when the hall was falling down uh, and it needed to be underpinned again, we found that God had brought to our church congregation a man called Tim, who was a civil engineer specialised in underpinning old buildings just when we needed him. Back in 2011, there were many people in the church involved in the redevelopment, but there was a core team, Richard Duxbury and Dave Gorton and Rachel Wiratunga, who were there the whole way through both phases with the different gifts and skills that they brought, uh, together with lots of others involved in the process. God led us to appoint Robothams as our architect and a really good working relationship with Dave, the architect, uh, who led on this. God brought the people we need. Uh, and even now, here in this time of lockdown with needing technology, uh, I can see Lars at the back. Lars, I want to thank you on behalf of the church for your gifts and skills that are needed. Uh, Lars is sitting fairly comfortably, actually. He's equipping the, te the other team who are doing all the work, just as no doubt Bezalel and Aholiab did uh, all those years ago in the tabernacle, that he taught them how to do it and shared his skill. God is raising up, no doubt, from within the church, gifts and skills that are needed for this next time. And you may find that God's put something on your heart for us to do. Uh, please come and share that with us. It doesn't matter if it's not something we've done much in the past. God may be doing new things. And God will be bringing to us new people as well. We're expecting to be able to recruit a new associate vicar later in the year. Uh, and just very good news that we have a new curate who will be joining us in the summer. I can't give his name yet until the bishop has made it all official. Uh, but God is bringing new people to us as well as part of the team. Uh, so that was the second sermon. The first one was that God gave the design. And the second was that God gifted people to do the work. And we can trust God for this new era to show us what we should do and to raise up the gifts that are needed for us to do that. The third sermon was all about God providing the resources that were needed, in our terms, the finances that were needed to do the redevelopment. Uh, back in, ancient, in the wilderness for the Israelites, all these extraordinary resources that were needed. Let me read to you from Exodus 36, verses 2 onwards. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites uh, had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. So Moses gave an order. 
And they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do the work. Well, I remember reading that 10 years ago and dreaming of the time when I could say to the church, stop giving, we've got too much. Sadly, we never quite got to that stage, but there is no doubt that the Lord released resources for us. Uh, how on earth had God, how on earth did this group of slaves that had come out of Egypt have all these things to give? Well, before they had left Egypt, God had provided all those years before just before the 10th, the most severe of the plagues. We read this in Exodus chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. God said to Moses, Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So God had got the Israelites to ask their neighbors to give them gold and silver, and in Exodus 12, verse 35 and 36, we read that the Israelites did as Moses instructed. They asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. So they actually not only escaped from slavery, they took all these riches with them. So when God asked them to give an offering, they had stuff to give. Well, so it is with us. God has given us everything we have, whether he's given us the ability to earn money, uh, whether money's come down the family, uh, however it comes, God has given all of us things that we can give into his work. As David said, when the temple was dedicated, the sort of solid version of the tabernacle, he prayed to God, all things come from you. So God told Moses to ask the people to give. And it was a free will gift. Nobody had to give if they didn't want to. Exodus chapter 35, verses 4 and 5. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, and all the rest of the stuff. Uh, and then in verse 20, the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, for the sacred garments. And all who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewellery of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. So God released the resources. He provided them and he moved people's hearts to give them freely. Well, those of you who were here 10 years ago will remember that we were thinking about all this as we headed for a big gift day for the redevelopment. I told you that the plans all came to about 1.2 million to redo the whole building. Uh, in our bank accounts at church, we had about 50,000 pounds, enough for about six or eight weeks ministry at that time. And we had had gift days most years for our mission partners, uh, typically we had been get, having a gift day giving about 25 or 30,000, the occasional one 50,000. But 1.2 million was another league altogether. Some of you will remember a remarkable PCC meeting uh, where we said yes to the whole project unanimously. We agreed to do it in two phases, the far end of the building first and then the worship area second, roughly half each. 
And we had a debate about whether we should give an extra 10% to our mission partners. Our policy with all our giving is we give at least 10% away. So 10% of what's given this year goes to our mission partners next year. And we agreed that the Lord was in this and we should continue our policy. So that immediately put the 1.2 million cost up by another 120,000. And there was this great sense of unanimity as we agreed this, that the Lord was in it. I then had a conversation with our architects and they had been working with a church uh, somewhere miles away where the plans had been there for ages but the church never had the money. And they said to me, how much money have you got? And I said, we've got millions. They said, really? I said, yes, as the church family at St. Paul's, we have millions. They said, have you got millions in your church bank account? I said, no, no, we've got 50,000 in our church bank account. Uh, our money is all in people's own bank accounts and in the equity in their houses. So the architect said, you mean you've got nothing? Like, is this ever going to happen? How are you going to get the money? And I said, well, we're going to hold a gift day. And as Moses did all those years ago, we'll invite everyone who's willing to give. So I taught the church uh, what I always teach about money, that Jesus is Lord. If he's my Lord, he's Lord of my money as much as everything else. And I can freely trust him with it. I taught that you can't outgive God, that God is the great giver. And I told lots of personal stories. I'm not going to do those today because it's not primarily a sermon about giving. Uh, some of you have heard them many times. Uh, I taught the church this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, uh, where Paul says to the Corinthian church, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I invited people to give freely, as the people of Israel did all those years ago. Uh, and that the word cheerful is the Greek word hilarion. God loves a joyful, hilarious giver. Let's do this with joy and worship. I taught that God looks on our heart, that he's more concerned with our attitude as we give than how much money we can give. I talked about Jesus commending the widow who could just give two small coins. Or that other people with lots of resources in Acts, we read about them selling houses and fields and giving those to the church. And we then had a gift day on the Sunday. Now phase one was about £600,000 plus the money we were going to give 10% away. We had grants of around 60 or £70,000. As it turned out, that kind of covered what we were giving away from our own free giving. Uh, I was a little bit nervous and a little bit excited. I wasn't quite sure what would happen. I mean, if we only got 200,000 on the gift day, well, that would be far more than ever before. Was it enough to really see the project through? On the other hand, could we raise the whole amount? What would happen? So we invited people to come and give in the morning. We had a fine team counting it all up in the afternoon. Invited people to come and give in the evening. They gave at the beginning, and our fine team kept counting through the evening service. And I invited the whole church to come back at 8 o'clock, and we'd announce the total. And we didn't know what it would be. It was a, a remarkable moment. Uh, we added up all that had been given, all that had been pledged over the next year, and the tax that we would get back from that. And it came to almost £400,000 on the night. And I remember announcing that. And it was, if you were here that night, you will remember it. It was a holy moment as we sensed that God really was in this. So the next morning, Monday morning, I phoned up our architect, wonderful architect, and he said, how did you get on with your gift day? And I said, guess. 
He said, well, I've met your church. They're a really good bunch, maybe 50,000. And I told him that on the day we'd had nearly 400,000 come. And down the phone, he said, good God, like that. To which I said, precisely, we think so too. And I introduced him as the architect with brilliant theology ever after. Well, lovely stories emerged. The man who had no spare money but wanting to give, but got a promotion at work, and they gave him a company car, so they were able to sell their family car and give the money to the gift day with great joy, cheerfully. Uh, as I would go visiting, there are endless stories people would tell me about the old car on the drive that they hadn't changed, or the kitchen they were going to update but they didn't, or the holiday they didn't go on so they could give into the redevelopment. The story of the teenager uh, learning to lead worship, playing a guitar, wanting a good guitar that would have cost about £400, but he gave 50 of what he had saved up uh, to the gift day, and that very night some friends told him they would like to buy him a good guitar. The married couple uh, who were trying to work out how much to give and went to separate rooms to pray it through and wrote down on a post-it note the amount that they'd got. One of them worked it all through very analytically, one of them much more intuitively, and they turned the pages, piece of paper over together exactly the same amount. You know who you are if you're watching. Uh, so many more stories where we sensed God was in this individually. And we discovered as a church that we cannot outgive God. We looked at that famous verse from Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 10, where God says, test me in this. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. And we learned as a church to give more generously. And the other money came in slowly and we were able to do phase one. And then three years later, phase two, we did it all again. Another gift day, just as remarkable. We didn't quite manage to get the whole amount given, but we had a house, we own a house as a church on Watham Road that we sold to cover the cash flow and the tax. Uh, and then at the end, we bought a slightly smaller house that we were able to use to uh, give a house to a Syrian refugee family for a number of years. Uh, God provided the resources for us 10 years ago, just as he did uh, in the wilderness for the ancient Israelites. One of my Christian heroes is Hudson Taylor, who pioneered missionary work into inland China. And he said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's resources. So as we look into what comes next and this huge need we're beginning to anticipate in our community uh, as the nation emerges from the pandemic. I think there's going to be loads of resources needed to help people in need. But we can trust God to provide those. Uh, many of you will be moved to give more, to help those around us. A year ago, we gave to a hardship fund for people in the church family going through difficulty. Uh, I'm delighted to say we've been able to use that, and there's still some there. But as we anticipate more need, uh, I think we'll be looking to the Lord to give us more that we can give to those in need. And then there was a fourth sermon, and this is the most important one and my fourth point. God had given the design, he'd gifted the people, he'd released the resources, and they built the tabernacle, and then God filled it with his presence. That was the point of the whole thing. Read chapter 39, verse 32 again. All the work on the tabernacle was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 42 and 43. 
The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work, saw they'd done it just as the Lord commanded, so Moses blessed them. And then chapter 40, verse 33. So Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the curtain at the entrance. He finished the work, and then God's presence came. The cloud covered the tent of me. The cloud, the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, his presence tangibly there. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they'd set out. But if the cloud didn't lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and there was fire in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites. Uh, we're going to pause the series on Exodus for half term and when we come back we'll pick up this cloud guiding them. But for now, let's dwell on the fact that God made his presence dwell among them. God wasn't after their money. God didn't want to take from them. What he wanted to do was give himself to them, his very presence. And presence, we have discovered, is what we most want. It's what we most want from each other. It's what we've most missed in this time of the pandemic. Uh, I've got this down in my notes from that sermon from 10 years ago about presence, a quote. Presence is a delicious word because it points to one of the truly great gifts. Nothing else can take the place of presence, not gifts, not telephone calls, not pictures, not mementos, nothing. Ask the person who's lost a lifelong partner what they miss the most. The answer is invariably their presence. When we're ill, we don't need soothing words nearly as much as we need our loved ones to be present. What makes shared life, games, walks, concerts, outings, a myriad of other things so pleasurable? Presence. And we know that with each other as we've been denied this in lockdown. But it's true of God too. Not just knowing about God at a distance, but God wants relationship with you and with me and with us together. And in Jesus... Hundreds of years later than the tabernacle, God came and made his presence very tangible. John chapter 1, verse 14, this famous verse from the prologue of St. John. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, John wrote, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Just as God dwelt with the ancient Israelites through the tabernacle, so he came to us in Jesus. And on the day of Pentecost, God gave his Holy Spirit that everyone who bows the knee to Jesus as their Lord should be filled with his Spirit and we would know his presence with us. We no longer see uh, a fiery, cloudy pillar. We know God's presence with us by his Holy Spirit individually and together. Paul said this to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. You yourselves are God's temple, like God's tabernacle. And that God's spirit dwells among you. And Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2. You're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple, a holy tabernacle in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the church isn't primarily the bricks, it's the people. And together, 
God makes his presence known among us. How we long for that day when we can worship all together again and encounter more of his presence together. We can know it in our homes, we can know it in our own. But that is the wonderful thing. This is what God wants for his people, for us to know his presence. When we did our vision document, if you like, as a church 15 years ago, we had a prophecy that I've been reminded of this week, which said this, uh, speaking as the Lord speaking to us, that we felt the Lord really was saying, it is my desire that St. Paul's Church becomes a place that is known, both by its members and those outside it, even those who don't follow me, as a place where I, the holy heavenly God, come to interact both individually and corporately with my people as they worship me. This will be evident by incidents of physical, emotional, and spiritual healing, by countless situations where people radically change their lives and behavior as they seek to follow me, by an overflow of love and generosity that breaks the expectations of society, by non-believers coming into the building and being converted as they come into my presence, people who previously had no understanding of the gospel. And I sensed this week the Lord saying, now is the time as we emerge from the pandemic to step into this next level, as it were, of hosting his presence. And we'll definitely pray into this tonight at the prayer meeting. I'll share that prophecy again and another one that I was sent this week uh, on the same theme. The danger is that we decide to keep God at arm's length and just go with all the principles. The principles in the Bible are so good we can build good, healthy lives just doing the principles, but missing out on the relationship with God. And it's God's presence that he wants to make known to us. Well, I've probably gone on long enough. Perhaps the band would come back to lead us in a moment. We're going to take a minute just to sort of process this slowly in prayer. As we do this, just a, an old story has come to mind of a mum with her son during the Second World War. The dad was away fighting, and each night the mum would uh, pray with the little boy there'd be a photo of the dad by his bedside and the mum would say, now kiss your father and get into bed. And he would kiss the photograph and get into bed. And the time came when the dad was back on leave and was at home and he was there for the bedtime prayer. And with the dad there, the mum said to the little boy, now kiss your father and get into bed. But the boy still went and kissed the photograph and missed the real dad. And sometimes I think as God's people, we sort of don't embrace the Lord's presence. We remember he's sort of there, but somehow in the background. And God wants to make his presence known to you, just as much in your front rooms or wherever you're watching this this morning or whenever you watch it, as in the building. He wants to make his presence known to us and through us to others. So let's pray. Lord Jesus,